everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line, it's Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. How are you today? I am doing very, very well. There was all the soccer returning. We have City uh, next week, and then we're back to like having way too many games to try to keep track of every single weekend. Sound good to you? Oh. But that's, that sounds wonderful. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all, it's all about not seeing our families all daylight during exactly, the weekend. Exactly. Great. It is that weird, like, ah, the weekend has come. Time to relax and watch all the soccer so I don't end up having to cram it all in Sunday night, which is what yeah. I inevitably end up doing anyway. But here we are. Go, going we outside are. and breathing fresh air is overrated, I find, anyway. Yeah. No, it's, well, it is like 114 degrees uh, here in Richmond at any given moment. So I guess staying inside is a little bit preferable in that regard. Uh, but yes, go. we've got lots of soccer to talk about. Um, we're going to uh, – we usually start with the, uh, the Premier League. Instead, I think we're going to get to that later on because I want to start with La Liga. Uh, match week one is, I think, in the books. And Ryan, this is not where I thought it was going to be. I thought for sure Barcelona would jump out to the lead, get all three points, and it would be sort of more business as usual, especially since Real Madrid still have some uh, some fairly large question marks looming. Instead, it's the opposite. Yeah. Real Madrid get the win. Barcelona do not. And now there's all sorts of uh, rumors and transfers and all that good stuff. Shall we start with uh, Real Madrid with getting all three points? Let's do that. Real Madrid above Barcelona for the first time in 27 months, 818 days. That is Can you remember what you were doing 818 days ago? I don't. I mean, if it was the last Probably time this. they were they were ahead, I, it was sometime in May of like two seasons ago. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Trying to figure <laughs> out uh, how the juggernaut that was Real Madrid could possibly be stopped would be my guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, well, and now uh, we have our answer. We do indeed. We do indeed. Uh, the, the juggernaut stopping the Barcelona, mm. obviously, is Athletic Club. Uh, we can get to that shortly. But uh, Real Madrid with the three-one win away at Celta. Celta with the interesting 4-2-2-2, the very narrow shape they ran in this one was interesting, particularly when you've got some fairly good wide players, yep. although Eden Hazard not featuring in this one. They had a, they had a fella up front called Gareth Bale. I've, Did you yeah, see him? I'm not, I'm, I'm, he must be a youth product, I'm assuming. Like We haven't, we haven't seen of anything of him, so I'm assuming that like he's just one they kind of found. They wanted to give a couple minutes to to see what happens, and uh, I guess he rewarded them with, with uh, what, one direct assist or indirect assist and then some yeah. good play overall. I was, it was nice to see Gareth Bale back, I have to say. I, what I really loved uh, this week is the comments from uh, Bale's uh, teammates. Casemiro uh-huh. said, he has given us titles, he's scored in finals, and he has a lot of respect from us all. He has to play. He's a great player and is very important to us. Hmm, okay, change your tune slightly, Casemiro. Uh, <laughs> Thibaut Courtois. Thibaut Courtois says, everyone loves him and it's important that he plays for us. We are so happy with Bale. Thibaut Courtois, the person who told us he's nicknamed the golfer. <laughs> Now, do you think that this is like a a sustained campaign? Have they decided, okay, never mind, we're going to hold on to him, so everybody has to make nice and say nice things? Or do you think this really is just actual sentiment about how Gareth Bale, like how important he's been in the locker room? Uh, I think it's economics. Oh, right. I mean, you see, you see the way that Zidane's had to basically a mm-hmm. month ago was saying this guy's out. You know, yeah. let, let's talk about something else. Now it's he's going to stay. He is in my team. I am very happy about this. The tone <laughs> of my voice is not changing. <laughs> I'm not quietly furious at all with every, the way everything has <laughs> gone. But yeah, Gareth Bale comes in. He contributes to the first goal. He, I think Marcelo is involved in all three goals. So the mm. the old guard sort of back. Uh, one of the old guard sort of, I guess, frustrates uh, Zidane. Zidane, or maybe the officials frustrate Zidane. Luka Modric showing a red card in the second half in the 56th minute. I was really surprised because I, I did not watch this game live. I saw the highlights, uh, and then I went back because Fubo TV is great. I went back through and found it like the replay and watched the whole thing and kept going backwards to try to figure out when Luka Modric picks up this red card. And I was like, surely there must be another incident after this incident. And instead, <laughs> no, it's, it's a clip. Player goes down. Luka Modric kind of stands around hands on hips. We wait, we wait, we wait. And then the red card comes out. I, I tend to agree with officials in the decisions they make. This one, I'm not so sure. Ryan, where are you on this one? Well, this one, Taylor, went to VAR. This one, was, this one was a rule by officials in a room who went through the rule book and decided that Luka Modric, uh, going for a clip on the ankle mm-hmm. and falling over as he did so, was a red card offense now obviously there's some rule that i'm not quite aware of that makes that a red card offense because obviously i think they're treating it as like a stomp on the ankle because mm-hmm. to be fair he wasn't anywhere near the ball but to me it looked like the way he fell over the way he lost his balance he was almost trying to withdraw from it i didn't see any malice in that challenge i suppose no nor did i and i and i think like if you want to just focus on the foot coming down on the heel i suppose you can do that and say that maybe that's dangerous or you're out of control it's reckless it's dangerous it's a red he's out of control 
Exactly. He's, he's flying out of the, it's flying through the air. It's no good. Uh, but in, in my opinion, it's more of a, like, he is trying to make a play. He realizes he's beaten and I think is kind of trying to pull out. And maybe that's a bit controversial because I think the exact justification was he could have pulled out and didn't. But I think if yeah. you watch the way his head is turned, he's watching the player, he's watching what's happening. And I think he is trying, like, to j- just kind of adjust to what he needs to be doing and not necessarily is trying to inflict any sort of pain. But I guess the, the VAR crew disagreed. It is the case so that like they wouldn't be looking at that for a yellow card uh our commentators were sort of speculating that, like oh maybe it was a little reckless like oh maybe it's going to be a yellow but I, I i felt to me like okay no if they're looking at this one it's definitely going to be a red yeah just and, um, this was his first career red card as well how underwhelming for a first career red card i wanted it to be for like a punch or an elbow for that you got to be oh disappointed yes. disappointing all round I would say so, but I mean, Madrid get uh, get all three points and all three goals, uh, two of which come after the red card. Tony Cruz with the screamer that does that oh. beautiful. It tings off the underside of the bar. It's so pretty. I love when it does that. When it, like, I think I think I've discussed my theory that my favorite goals are long ranges that clip the crossbar. I think there's nothing better. There's nothing more aesthetically pleasing for me in the game of soccer. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I would add uh, it was Phil Shane and Tommy Smith. Uh, Phil Shane, I think, not one to be outdone by Tommy Smith's hyperbole throughout that it was from four. <laughs> 40 yards out. I'm not sure it was quite that far out, but it was definitely long enough range that it qualifies to make Ryan Bailey happy. Very much so. Very much so. Did you enjoy enjoy that one uh, more or uh, the winning goal for uh, or in the Barcelona game? Well, I think this is a matter of timing and importance. The mm-hmm. Athletic Club goal from uh, Aritza Duriz was. See, I wanted quite you special. to say his name because I always get anxious about pronouncing uh, Basque names, and that was one where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this one right. So I'll let Ryan say it instead. I have been to Bilbao several times. Okay. I've been to Lezama, their training ground. I've been to San Mames, the old one as well. I'd like to think. I could pronounce it, but I'm probably completely wrong. I just <laughs> went with it phonetically, basically, there. Aritz Ejuris. If you say it quickly, you can get away with it. Anyway, oh, yeah, that's exactly. his name. He's, if you, he's, and if you say it quickly, it sounds like you're like a total expert as well. So I, I think it's the, <laughs> the smart way to go. And what's wonderful is he's a, he's a soccer player who's older than both of us. He which, is. Which uh, makes me it feel bad. You don't get those much. You don't get those much at this level. Uh, so I, uh, I, My wife and I were watching it uh, on Saturday, and, and like I said, like, oh, yeah, he's, a, he's an older guy. And she was like, how old? And I said, like, 27, jokingly. And she was like, oh, yeah, that is kind of old. And I was like, don't say that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> don't, don't agree to that. You're th- 38 years old, I believe. So definitely older than me. Yeah. So he came on the field in the 88th minute, 89th minute. He gets that incredible mm-hmm. scissor kick goal with a lovely assist coming through from, from the right channel as well it was it was um a, would you call that a throw on set piece because it's basically a th- the throw comes on it's a one two with the guy puts in the cross uh i can't remember who that was uh, and um it, it, it looked like it's something they worked on in the training ground am i wrong in thinking that uh, no, you're not, because it definitely felt designed, and it definitely felt like you're bringing on a big physical striker to go into the middle, and like basically your your goal is to have like a design set piece to pull some defenders out to open up space to, for him to attack, uh, and I think. It more or less works, although I have to believe that the design set piece doesn't end with Adorius having to reach behind him to pull off of it like a perfect flying volley. But you maybe really that's quickly. what Kappa that was, was good, aiming for. What's that? You said it really quickly. That was great. Exactly. Perfect. See, I, I learned from you. I learned from you. <laughs> uh, but it is it is a beautiful goal. Uh, Daryl and I had a debate as to what, whether or not you would call it like an overhead kick or a volley or a flying volley. I never quite know what to go with here. I think Daryl said scissors in the end, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, there is some discrepancy in how you describe these things because scissors can mean a couple of different things, can't it? And the, mm-hmm. the, the rotation of the scissors. I think I overhead because it was over his head okay. to me makes sense, right? I'm, I'm, I, am, I am okay with that. I think Barcelona not okay with the result. They immediately sell or loan out Felipe Coutinho. I'm assuming those two <laughs> things were, were linked. It was like, that's it. This is the problem. We got to get rid. <laughs> do you think he, he was in the dressing room and saying, but boss, you, you worked here a long time. Why didn't you do better at this? Get out. You're going to buy Munich. Exactly. That's it. Enough from you. Enough from Who invited you? you? But it is uh, one of the like telling absences, if not Coutinho, is the fact that your front three of Antoine Griezmann, Luis Suarez, and Usman Dembele did not mm. feature Lionel Messi. Uh, you didn't hear his name in there because he did not uh, start in this one, does not play in this one out on the bench. Uh, how, how bad are Barcelona without Lionel Messi, Ryan? Uh, the statistics will have you believe they are bad. I think their last <laughs> six games uh, without Lionel Messi, it was a draw with mm-hmm. Inter, a, a loss to Levante, a loss to Sevilla, a draw with uh, Huesca, mm-hmm. a loss to Celta, and there's one more. Uh, 
lost to Athletic. There you go. So that's yeah. it. Wow. Um, that, that's, that's not that's pretty bad, isn't it? And you hear these uh, people say flippantly that it's a one man team, but when you see those numbers and you see the way they performed in this game, and obviously not a, not the strongest front three mm-hmm. that we've seen in a while. And Luis Suarez, after not long after hitting the post with that awful back pass that he got onto, um, going off injured as well. So that's a bit of a concern too. But yeah, it seems like this Lionel Messi guy is uh, something of a of a fulcrum in this team, doesn't it? And you know, you you hear how like a lot of the tactics, and even someone like Sid Lowe will say a lot of the time it's get the ball to Messi mm-hmm. in, in certain games, in certain situations, and that game plan is not there when he's not there, and that's something they have to plan for in the next few years, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, and and plan, planning for it will be slightly challenging given that he is uh, one of, if not the best players ever, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more so because I think like. Yes, it it can be easy to say like just give the ball to Messi, like we'll give it to him, he'll he'll figure it out, he'll score a goal, he'll make something happen. And he yeah. often does. But I think like it's 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 different than a like LA Galaxy give the ball to Zlatan because he'll find a way to score. With Messi, I think it's also like almost a calming effect of like you give the ball to him, he makes something happens, defenses get nervous, other teams lose their game plan just a little teeny bit, and then maybe other openings uh open up, obviously, but there are other opportunities then. Maybe players get a little bit more time and space, but when you don't have Messi and that player that you always look to in those moments, mm-hmm. I think if you're Barcelona, you struggle a little bit to figure out where you go from there, especially when Luis Suarez gets injured as you added as well yeah so perhaps is there is there a tendency at Barcelona to make it all about Messi to their detriment yeah I think I think there probably is and I mean justifiably so because it's like it's the weird like uh cycle of he is like one of the best players ever so you want to get the ball to him but then do you become overly reliant on getting the ball and building the entire team around him and it tends to work and they tend to win titles and occasionally win some champions leagues but it does then create a vacuum when he's gone one that i assume antoine Griezmann was meant to like help with although uh we had graham ruffin on the show last week he was pointing out that Griezmann was more of a luis suarez replacement uh or that was maybe the idea eventually so i still think they have some ways to go in terms of dealing with how to replace Lionel messi unless they want to bring felipe coutinho back after Messi retires, they could always go for that. I'm, I'm sure there's some clause in there that allows for Coutinho to return, though I think he is uh, less likely to do so. Well, there is a certain Brazilian who might be available uh, oh, yeah? in the coming days. We should probably tap on that a bit later, but that might solve their problems somewhat. A, a returning employee, shall we say. Is, is it Danny um, Alves? It's Danny Alves, yeah. How did you guess? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the one interesting thing here is, did you know Athletic Club have played Barcelona 10 times on the uh, first day of the season? This is the 11th time. And the last time that Bill Bell won was 1949. I did not know that. <laughs> How yeah, did you know that? That's a fun fact for you. Because I, 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 I know my numbers, pal. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, the last time they played each other on the opening day was 2015 at San Mamos, and Luis Suarez scored the only goal. So it, it's very much a turn up for the books, this one. And we know that the San Mamos is a very difficult place to go. We know that Barcelona have had difficulty. We know that this is quite a story. This is a classico in its own right between mm-hmm. these two, two of the oldest teams in Spain. Uh, you know, the whole Goicochea and Maradona stuff of the early 80s that went on between these two sides. So there's a lot of history here. And full credit to Bilbao, they're probably my favorite Spanish team. And I'm I'm all the more happy with them for pulling this one off. Why are they they your favorite Spanish team? I just like the way there's, as I I dropped earlier, I've been there a few times. Mm. I actually did a documentary about them once. And they're so fiercely local. Like you, it, it, when you walk the streets there and you see a sports store, there's no, it's not like there's Real Madrid and Barcelona shirts in the window. It's all about Athletic Club, and you know they have that Cantera policy where they can only pick Basque players, mm. which isn't terribly modern in 2019, but it's also quite admirable the way they've stayed in the league. I think there's only three teams who stayed in La Liga since 1929 when it started, Bilbao being one of them, and they've come close to dropping out a few seasons ago. But, you know, they've been in Europe, they've done great things, and they're going to strength to strength, building the new stadium. I just think they're a very admirable organization uh, when there's a lot of, you know <laughs> a lot of unadmirable ones out there <laughs> I, I, I would say this though uh to mention her for the second time in like the opening 15 minutes uh explaining who uh athletic club were to my wife and the kind of the policy you mentioned of only sending basketball players her response it's it's a full sign that she has started her job today she is a lawyer ryan her first response was like i feel like that wouldn't be allowed in u.s labor laws i think you'd have to like i wonder if there's a workaround for how you can only hire people from a certain region I was like, okay, we're going back to the game. I can't, well, I can't handle these things. I thought about that too, but then isn't there like, you know, like stores at like Abercrombie where they only hire like really attractive people <laughs> and they hire them as models? Isn't it kind of a bit like that? You're hiring people for a purpose kind of, I don't know. I feel like this is a backdoor way of saying that you used to work <laughs> at Abercrombie is what you're doing here. 
I wish. I just wanted you to stop humble bragging about the fact you got a wife. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no children yet. But if and when we have them, I just want to remind everybody: uh, mind your footing when it comes to the the field races. That's all I have to say about uh, having children. That's my number one advice right now. You're welcome for that, Ryan. Solid retort. Solid retort. Very much. Uh, I, I try. Um, you alluded to it earlier. Um, there was other La Liga action. I'm assuming Barcelona will not finish 15th in the table. That is my guarantee, Ryan. I think they'll finish higher than 15th, which is where they are Oops. now. Both. Um, but another team that is perhaps panicking would be PSG. Uh, you, we alluded to them a moment ago. They lose on opening day. Do you think that triggers uh, some panic purchasing or all the panic purchasing? Oh, I hope all the panic purchasing. That's what I really hope. <laughs> I mean, uh, this this uh, has been treated as something of a shock, but I don't mm. necessarily think it should have. This is the team, Ren, remember, who uh, beat them in the uh, Coupe de France, the French Cup final. With the one where Neymar, Neymar punched mm-hmm. a fan in the crowd. Yeah, uh, don't do that. After. Not a good idea. Um, and we know that uh, two seasons ago, uh, Rem beat them at the Parc de France as well. So this is kind of a, a bogey team for them. Is bogey team a UK phrase? Do you use that? Do you know what that means? Oh, I, well, I, I do mostly because of Top Gun. Okay. <laughs> is that, does that work? I've got a bogey on my six, man. Come on. Yeah, sure. All right, well, uh, we'll ran our PSG's bogey on their six then, very much. Um, so, uh, although they did play in the Super Cup a few your, weeks your ago. Your judgment is coming through the, the microphone right now, Ryan. I hear it, I don't like it, but I do appreciate it, and I understand it. I'm having fun. I'm just having fun. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I did predict, you can't not predict a PSG win in a league game, but I did think this was there was a potential for upset in this one, and there was, after all. Um, yeah, I don't, don't much more to say about it The well done to Ren. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll say this: like I, I am with you in that. I was, I guess, as surprised as you can be when it comes to PSG losing, especially on opening day. But with that said, I think, and maybe this is me not like being a PSG ultra and following it, all, all the inner workings of the club, mm. but it just it feels like a club that is in a state of flux. That they are still trying to figure things out. Uh, obviously, the Neymar situation we've talked about. There was some links with uh, Coutinho uh, for them as well. There was going to be some swaps, or maybe they were going to move some other people around. Uh, and I, I, it still just felt like a team that was maybe trying to figure out their best 11 and who was going to be there at the end of the season in this game and that maybe is partially to blame for why they end up losing they take the lead uh, I think it's one to one at halftime two to one shortly after halftime and then PSG do not get the result I think uh, if not bottom of the table they're what oh oh wait no they excuse me they won one game already, they won right they won one all right so yeah they're okay then they're okay they're not in Barcelona territory like near the relegation zone I think PSG should be all right uh the rumors today were that Neymar still likely to be on the move uh the story I saw last night was that PSG had requested uh Rafael Varane and Vinicius Jr. in exchange for Neymar if he goes to Real Madrid which mm-hmm. does seem like the team most inclined to make a move for Neymar uh, is that does that seem like a bit too much for you R- Varane and Vinicius uh, a very good center back and a very young uh, playmaker that Real Madrid only recently brought in because that felt like a lot to me for a Neymar who is no longer in that conversation of like is he one of the best players in the world instead it's like is he one of the top 100 players in the world <laughs> yeah I think if PSG pulled it off they should celebrate through the night because that would be a wonderful bit of business for them wouldn't it I mean, yes, absolutely, because you get rid of what has been a problematic player and a player who does not seem like his priority is with PSG. I think his agents have made it clear he does not want to be there this season. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was the other one that came out of this game. Uh, PSG looking for, I think, a replacement goalkeeper as well. So it does feel like they will maybe be doing the panic purchasing in the final days of the window, and I would very much expect Neymar to be on the move. If there were a club that he could go to, if you were like opening it up, Ryan, what club would you like to send Neymar to like for entertainment purposes actually Wimbledon <laughs> you just want him I had a feeling that would be the answer the immediate answer <laughs> but uh, I wasn't I wasn't 100% sure and now I, am. I would I would like to see him in the Premier League to be really? honest but I'm not sure where but uh, d- doesn't like is, is that for the obvious reasons of like you want to see him flopping around and rolling around or do you want to see him getting kicked I just want to see him in in, in the Premier League, basically. Okay. I want to see how he handles it. And I think it is a bit more physical, as the cliche goes. I mean, could you see him at like a Chelsea or something? Not Obviously not this season, but could mm. you see him at a Chelsea or something like that? It, that does that does feel like a suitable location for him to land. Uh, I think they, they have a history of, of bringing in Brazilian players. Obviously, they've mm. got a few on the books right now. Uh, and, it, and it does seem like a place that would enjoy having a flair player like Neymar. I think I've just gone... 
I've just soured on him so completely that there was a time when I would defend him aggressively when Daryl would mock him and talk about how frustrating he was and wasteful and all these things. And now I've sort of moved into that category. And I think because I went from like pro Neymar to very much, I don't know if he's as good as I thought he was. It's made me maybe a bit more like negative towards him than I would be otherwise. Oh, so I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him go to Chelsea and then maybe getting knocked around a little bit and, and like reaffirming his ability to play under pressure in a way that we have not seen from him uh, in at least the last season or two. Sounds like you've gone full Joey Barton there. He was the one who famously called him a YouTube show pony when he first started showing up, wasn't it? But, uh, uh, I mean, yes, but I also <laughs> then don't really want to be equated with Joey Barton. So uh, I'll, I'll take... I'm sure Neymar has, has scrapped with, with some people... Yeah. Uh, of of slightly better repute than Joey Barton. Yes, you're right. I, I, I apologize. I would never compare your character to his, of course. But uh, I think Ch- Chelsea definitely have a history of uh, overpaying vastly for players who are past it. So he could very much fit into that, <laughs> couldn't he? I couldn't tell if that was going to be a Christian Pulisic burn. Uh, but then at oh, the no. end, when it became that are past it, that made me feel slightly better. It was Mr. Shiva and such. I mean, yeah, so Samuel Eto would like a word with you, I think, as well. <laughs> you can toss him into that equation. Bringing Drogba back for, like, the third time, I think, also <laughs> maybe 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 qualifies. Uh, we will talk Premier League. We will talk Pulisic and Chelsea uh, in, in a little while. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, if that's all right with you. We're going to talk about SeatGeek, a, mm. uh, a ticket company where the customer comes first with over uh, more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. They're focused on making your experience as easy as as possible, uh, and they do that with their ranking system. Ryan, do you want to try to explain the ranking system and interactive map and all that good stuff? I would love to. So basically, SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the intertubes. They rate each <laughs> the deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and it displays them <laughs> on an interactive map. So it's uh, it's pretty simple to find out whether your tickets are a good deal or not. So uh, they've got sort of a, a traffic light system. So a green dot means it's a good deal. Red dot means eh, maybe keep looking. So for example, mm-hmm. I'm, look- I'm actually going to see the Smashing Pumpkins with uh, the Chief Noel Gallagher tomorrow night. Very, very excited about that. I'm looking on SeatGeek right now. You can get lawn tickets for $12. Taylor, Whoa. you can see Noel Gallagher for $12. Is Why would you do that? He's in Charlotte tomorrow night. First of all, the idea of Noel Gallagher being in Charlotte is strange to me just on the face of it. But that's, that's quite the show. Is he fronting Smashing Pumpkins now or is he playing with them? <laughs> His band, the High Flying Birds, are supporting them. I do know because I'm an Oasis nerd that he hasn't been in Charlotte since 1996 when he was on that tour, which Liam left and had a fight and went back and bought a house instead, which is all ancient history. But uh, the point being, SeatGeek is wonderful. And $12, $12 (laughs) to see Noel Gallagher, to see the chief, to see the architect of British pop music in the modern era. Can I give you a controversial take right now? Oh, please don't insult Oasis. Oasis? Meh. <laughs> is that is that is that the silence I get for that statement? <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. I said it mostly to annoy you, but also I know that Daryl will listen, and then I'll get an angry text from him as well. So oh, that yeah. that is pretty impressive to be able to see both of those bands for twelve dollars. I, I was expecting uh, much much more, but if you want it to be say. $2 instead of $12. Uh, our listeners can get $10 off their f- first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, nice. Basically, use promo code TSS for $10 off your first purchase. Uh, that's code TSS to get uh, $10 off concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want, including tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins with a mediocre person from Manchester. <laughs> oh! And uh, also, by the way, their bass player's from Manchester, the Smashing Pumpkins. There's another fact for you. And I've oh, been he's fine. To him on... He's cool. Yeah, he's cool. Oh, good, good. Good to know. Glad to know your <laughs> rankings of uh, uh, Mancunians. Uh, by the way, um, I also mentioned last week's show that I, was, uh, I wanted to go and see Casey Musgraves. Uh, her bass player, Adam Kiefer, is a mm-hmm. listener. Shout out to you. He got into contact with him. Thanks for getting in contact. Thanks for listening. And uh, you'll go and see Casey Musgraves, as I am now going to do. Wait, does that mean that we don't get the uh, the credit for you using SeatGeek to buy tickets to Casey Musgraves? SeatGeek's wonderful. $12, no Gallagher. <laughs> All right, you can just send us the money. It's fine, Ryan. Uh, but yes, that was pretty amazing. Uh, it is a small world, and it made me very, very happy, especially that you got, you got uh, some tickets. You finally get a perk for being on the show for so long. 
<laughs> finally, finally. And finally, the Bundesliga kicked off. We have the Bundesliga underway. Um, I just wanted to make a quick note of Union Berlin, who uh, I think oversold their stadium, uh, did the like the 15-minute protest against uh, RB Leipzig. And uh, extended- the, the atmosphere boycott, as it was called, which <laughs> yes. is such a Germanic name for it, isn't it? <laughs> That's it really, once, once really, I saw really that phrase, I was like, I've got to hear what this is. It's basically being quiet. It's basically what like half the Premier League stadiums do for most Saturdays. <laughs> But I mean, it's, but it's especially a credit when it's the first time in the Bundesliga. Uh, they did the thing at the end of the game where they like, held up cutout, uh, cardboard cutouts of fans who had passed away who'd never got to see them in the Bundesliga. But then to spend the first 15 minutes in silence to protest your opponent is, I feel like that's an extra burn. Because it shows you how much they want to protest you if you're an RB player. That didn't necessarily bother them as RB smashed Union Berlin. But yeah. I did love, my favorite part of all of this uh, was that Union Berlin's match program for the game uh, used the emblem of, I'm going to do my best here, uh, BSG Turbine uh, Mark Kronstadt, uh, which is the old name of the club, uh, which RB Leipzig basically bought and changed the name of to make them an RB club. So, so I really enjoy. On, uh, they were trolling on so many different levels. They, they really, they really that, were. They did the atmosphere boycott. They also had a a banner up behind one of the goals that said "Nachtzehn Jahren wird ein Ostverein in dieser Liga," which basically means after ten years, finally there's a Eastern German club in this league again. So they're they're referring to ten years ago, Energie Cottbus were relegated, and they're conveniently leaving out the fact that there has been an East German club in the league for a few years <laughs> called RB Leipzig. So that was once again some wonderful trolling from them. I don't really appreciate how good you are at pronouncing things. I just want to throw that out there right now because I struggled to get through what RB Leipzig's old name was, and then you flawlessly pronounced whatever the banner was. Well done to yeah, you, sir. Well uh, done to, to you. To be fair, I speak German. I do not speak Basque at all, so I'll, I'll put that one out there. Also, one uh, this stadium is the Stadion under Alten Forestreib, which is another fancy. All right, German now you're just with. showing off. Now you're just the showing stadium, off. <laughs> the stadium by the old. Uh, how do you say that? Forestry, like woodchopper's house or something. That's oh, okay. what it translates to. It's a very, very kitsch sounding um, name. But they have a manual scoreboard still. So it's not even like dot matrix scoreboard. It's like literally a guy hanging out of a window, changing a card, which changes the score. Well, like, a, like an old cricket ground from like the 1960s. It's wonderful. I want to go. I want to go right now. In fact, I'm gonna, I might end this show prematurely just so I can so I can go over there. That is one one place I would like to go before... They maybe get relegated this season. I wouldn't mind seeing them in the Bundesliga, although I think that's the case for lots and lots of other people. So yeah. I imagine tickets slightly difficult to come by. Um, tickets may be easier to get for, say, Bayern Munich, who uh, right now are in a little bit of a crisis of their own. Uh, they draw. They draw on the opening day, two-two uh, with Hertha Berlin. Um, Ryan, same question for Bayern as for PSG. They've kind of already answered it, but my question for you is: You think we see them go out, splash some cash, and try to strengthen before the window closes? But I guess that's kind of already been answered because they've already brought in two players uh since this draw yeah and panic like that doesn't feel very germanic very bavarian either, does it so uh, especially with Bayern, yeah especially with like who tend to lucas hernandez comes in from atleti uh and they brought in who am i forgetting on, on the free um uh, uh france right back for uh, benjamin pavard there we go pavard, yeah. there eventually haha um <laughs> they, but both of those were very much planned out they were in advance you get that deal done early there were yeah. rumors i think over the weekend that timo Werner is basically going to do the same thing he's going to let his contract run out at rb leipzig and mm. then sign for Bayern munich on a free that tends to be the way they go it's like long-term planning with probably a little bit of cheating thrown in uh, and then this weekend instead they go they sign 20 year old michael cuisance from uh Borussia mönchengladbach uh and then coutinho on loan that's the one that feels sort of like it makes sense and you could see Coutinho playing a variety of positions but it definitely feels a bit more like uh oh we don't have nearly as much depth as we thought Dortmund looked very good this weekend so we're going to go out and sign not that Coutinho is old but certainly older than it seems like Bayern like to kind of go out and recruit and spend money on so I I do feel like that was a little bit of a panic uh, move from Bayern Munich even if it does make sense it can be both panicky and logical I think at the same time Ryan which one of those do you err on the side of or would you put it right in the middle as I have uh, probably, I, I wouldn't say it was terribly panicky. I think it's been planned out and it's, it's a loan deal, isn't it? So I don't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it was, uh, a complete, um, uh, panic there, but yeah. it's something that I feel like they need. Like we had Kingsley Kuman on the, on the left side of the attack for this game and kind of kept, he, he, he felt like he lost the ball a lot there and someone like Coutinho might add something on that flank. Uh, and they're totally so behind Kuman sort of a bit out of position, I thought. So I think it would de- definitely be a good addition. 
Uh, yeah, I think Coutinho, it does make sense. He's got the 110 million pound or so, uh, I think, uh, option to purchase at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, getting him in and I think getting him off of Barcelona's books makes Barcelona happy. Uh, they get, I think, Bayern are covering all of his salary. So that, I think, frees up a lot of money for Barcelona. For Bayern, it does then, I guess, say to fans, we're bringing in a world-class or potentially world-class player. And then maybe they add one more. Uh, again, more rumors linking them with Kai Havertz, the young German from Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. I think that would be disastrous for Leverkusen, given that they've already lost Julian Brandt this offseason. So I'm, I'm assuming either it, the deal doesn't end up happening or Bayern pay a lot of money to get uh, Havertz from Leverkusen. But I guess they're more than capable of doing that, and they, they may well need to, given how strong Dortmund started the season uh, with a 5-1 win over Augsburg. Uh, which which of those was more surprising to you, Bayern struggling or Dortmund winning as emphatically as they did? Uh, I think, ne- well, I, I would say that I don't think uh, that Bayern drawing is as surprising as it should be because Hertha, once again, are a bogey on their six. Was oh, we got bogey said? on the six, yeah. <laughs> They've taken points from Bayern in five <laughs> of their last six games. Uh, and they beat them last season as well. So th- th- this is a kind of bogey team for them. You would you would expect Bayern to win that game and you'd expect that Bayern would be disappointed to be dropping two points basically in the title race with Borussia Dortmund because I think it's going to be very tight this season. So they'll be disappointed with that. But also, I think if you'd looked at the form books, you wouldn't be terribly surprised that this went down like that. Even though they, I think this is the uh, they're unbeaten in 25 home games against Hertha as well. So yeah. to answer your question... Not surprised by either, but also quite surprised by some of it. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, that, that's that's fair. That's fair. I think it's I, I put it up there with with I guess PSG a little bit that like the stories around Bayern have been Robin Ribery retiring. There's still mm. kind of front office uh, like power grabs being made and who's going to eventually like kind of lead the way for Bayern in terms of like the their various uh, board members who want to be in power. Uh, yeah. And then there's still questions about Nico Kovac. So it, it did just seem a little bit more like, yeah, they might kind of struggle a little bit out of the gate, similar to what they did last season. And that's where I think for Dortmund, this very, very strong win over Augsburg is so important because I think if they're going to challenge for the title slash be like the, you know, the leading candidate to win Dortmund, they're going to have to get those points early because I think Bayern will eventually be Bayern and close the gap and kind of find their way into being the juggernaut that they can be. But if Dortmund kind of maybe get a few more points in the first half of the season and then don't cough it up so tremendously in the second half, maybe we do end up seeing Dortmund uh, on top at the end. Uh, And so I think pressure being put on Bayern early and often throughout this season is going to be very key to that. So well done to Dortmund and well done to Union Berlin, even though they lost 4-0. Any other... uh, Bundesliga action you'd like to mention, Ryan? I'll just ask you one question. Do yes, you sir. think that Robert Lewandowski is Bayern's Messi in that they rely on him too much? In in a different way, but yeah, probably. I mm. think that's also because like I think we I can't remember if I was talking with you or Matt Herman about this. Probably Matt Herman, who's the Bundesliga expert. No disrespect to you, Ryan. But I asked him like who are the kind of like the main leadership figures for Bayern now that some of the more veteran people have gone. And he mentioned uh people like Thomas Muller, he mentioned Manuel Neuer, but the big one he mentioned was Robert Lewandowski because mm. of what he does on the field, but sort of like the kind of stature he has within the club, his ability to score goals, his ability to lead, and his ability to score clutch goals as well. I think they probably do look to him to pull a rabbit rabbit out of the hat in a slightly different way than Messi because Messi can sort of do the dribble, 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 shoot, score. Whereas Lewandowski, I don't think of as that like creative of a player, but I think right. of as much more of a like ruthless player. And I think when you have somebody like that, you can sort of rely on them to like find a way to score a goal at, at, at any given point, and then you know you're at least getting one goal in that game because Lewandowski's on the field. Yeah, for sure. I suppose that was my point, that you, you rely on him to get that goal. And I think that finishing was kind of a problem in this game. And when you take him out of the equation, it becomes an even bigger problem. <laughs> I, I, I do keep joking, mostly just because I want it to happen, that like maybe uh, Munich go out and like, or I guess not go out and sign, but wait for his contract to expire and do sign Timo Werner. Maybe they sign another German player. And then we finally see Robert Lewandowski also return to Borussia Dortmund. And, and then all three of the Dortmund players who went to Bayern Munich eventually return <laughs> to Borussia Dortmund to see things out. Ah, beautiful. What yeah. an arc. Beauty. Yeah, exactly. It, it all works out. Um, another <laughs> thing that is very, very beautiful, speaking of beauty, is a Roughneck Scarf, which oh, uh, nice. Roughneck Scarves being today's sponsor. That's R-U-F-F-N-E-C-K scarves.com. They're the official scarf provider for U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer, the NCAA, and the USL. 
Yes, indeed. Roughneck Scarves is committed to providing passionate soccer fans with outstanding customer service, professional design and the highest quality soccer scarves in the world. And I believe, mm-hmm. Tay you put a question out. To our uh, to our followers on the old Twitter earlier, didn't you? <laughs> you are correct, my friend. Uh, I asked if, if our listeners or our people on Twitter uh, were to design a custom roughneck scarf uh, to represent the most interesting points from the weekend. Uh, what would be on it? We had a lot of VAR uh, themed scarves. <laughs> Mostly uh, we'll, VAR. We'll, we'll get to a couple of those. Uh, but first one is from at Jeff underscore 917 who says a Chelsea scarf, but the letters are all out of order, symbolizing the terrible tactics and poor setup by Frank Lampard. Oh, yeah. Hush. Hush, hush, hush. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, there's more for Lampard in just a moment. Ryan? That's a rough scarf. Uh, how about we go on to uh, 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 one of the VAR ones from Af- Zephyr oh, yeah, Hills. That one, all right. Zephyr Hills, VAR booth on one side, all the world's conspiracy theories on the other. <laughs> there was, Ooh, I like There were some really good VAR ones. I would encourage people who are on Twitter to, you can go find my tweet and then see all the tweets in response. But there's some good ones. A lot of them very, like, image heavy. There's the one of just the, like, the VAR no goal uh, screen. It is a very, like, aesthetically pleasing color scheme as well. So that would be a good one. It's got, I like, mean, a little bit of, uh, of, of plaid in there. Yeah, you say what you like about VAR, but that screen they showed that says decision or no goal, that's mm-hmm. a nice-looking graphic. It's a good graphic. It's a good graphic. <laughs> uh, another one at Chelsea's expense from Zachary Wolf A 90-minute timeline with Lampard doing the Homer Simpson fade to the bushes thing as time progresses. Very nice, very nice. I'd like to sort of a gifable scarf. That's what we need, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, Wonderful stuff. Yes, exactly. We've got a, a Spanish thing or a European theme one here from Esteban Caballero. On one side, Zidane and Real Madrid breathing a sigh of relief with 818 days crossed mm-hmm. out. A little reference to the uh, amount of time since they've overtaken Barcelona there. Hmm. On the other side, PSG, Barcelona and Bayern squads and the managers with hands on heads there's Ooh, that's, a lot, that's a lot that's a tapestry right there it really is there's some, there's some very like uh artistic ones that we usually get get suggested these were for the ones that made me chuckle at least uh, can, I, as, can i jump in i've got one yes I came please go with. ahead go ahead go ahead var city blues var city blues var city oh blues i get it but my question then is like is it john voight is it billy bob is it james vanderbeek who you put is it scott con it's scott con that you're putting on the other side isn't it you were ready. You were ready for me to come at you with the full <laughs> cast list from Varsity Blues, were you? I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Do you want Ali Larder thrown in there? I think Amy <laughs> is Amy Smart in there. Amy Smart may also be in there. You're welcome for this, Ryan. And uh, the the girl from Heroes, who I've forgotten her name. Uh, uh, Ali Larter was it Ali Larter? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think Ali I threw Lata. that one out a moment ago. Yeah. There we go. Sorry, you did. I apologize. Uh, it's okay. Just get it together and do better <laughs> at things. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, I like that one. What would the other side be though? Then. Um, just uh, Pep with his head in his hands, possibly. Okay. A, la, a la the Champions League against Tottenham a few months ago. There we are. Yeah, we had a few, we had a few of those references uh, as well in these suggestions. But uh, we should say uh, a reminder once again that we're talking about Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf provider of U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer, the NCAA, and the USL. You can get 20% off any scarf in the Roughneck shop with the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW. All one word, all together. That's 20% off at checkout using the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW. Thank you to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode ryan i think we've kind of like kind of waded a little bit into the premier league let's uh let's dive all the way in let's talk man city uh and tottenham i have it as one-to-one for some reason on here finishes 2-2 my mistake on that one um graham scott <laughs> the var official for this one had a rough weekend uh he for th- this one obviously was in charge of the the var which made people slightly uh furious then he was supposed to officiate uh chelsea lester he was stuck in traffic so he oh, was boy. not able to take charge of that game so overall i think a slightly stressful weekend for graham scott um But I want to talk VAR for a moment, if you will, because I saw all of the stories around this one. I didn't watch uh, City Tottenham Live. I did watch it on uh, replay. Again, thank Mm -hmm. you, FuboTV. And similar to the Luka Modric thing, I kept waiting for a, like, really, really dramatic moment. Or, like, it just – I thought it was going to be this very obvious, like, oh, my gosh, that, of course, shouldn't have been called as a handball. And maybe I'm crazy, but, like, I, I, no, I think that was a handball. Like, I don't think that should have been a goal. I get maybe why it seems like it's hard to see, and maybe that's the argument against it. But for me, it's off the hand. It's into the path of a player who scores. To me, that's a handball. Ryan, I'm guessing you're going to disagree. Yeah, I think I am. I mean, okay. I, I suppose it's a difference between ball to hand and hand to ball. And, you know, mm-hmm. previously, before this season, it was the referee's job to interpret what was accidental, what was deliberate, or if the arm was in an unnatural position, as the mm. phrase goes. And to me, that ball darting in there is not an unnatural position that it comes off of Merrick Laporte's arm. 
And now, of course, we have this new rule, which came in from IFAB uh, in June, mm-hmm. the International Football Association Board, that is. The handball is now an offence if a player gains possession or control of the ball after it's touched their arm or hand and then they score or creates a goal-scoring opportunity. So basically any attacker, if it touches their arm or hand, uh, it's a foul, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether it was accidental or not. So it's a very, very straight line, very black and white which has been introduced uh, in conjunction with VAR to to the Premier League. So a lot of people are very angry at VAR, but the thing they really should be angry at is this handball rule, basically, which yeah. is... is uh, and uh, we, there's been a few reactions to it. A lot of them saying that it's unfair because it doesn't quite balance out because it's unfair on attackers. Because yes. there's, like, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and I think Ilke Gundogan both said and tweeted prospectively about this, saying if it had hit a Tottenham player's uh, hand, it wouldn't have been a penalty. Mm-hmm. And by that law, by law 12, that's correct. But I don't think that's quite correct on the balance of things because we look at, say, the Women's World Cup. There was, what, three or four really harsh handball penalties given in the same way. And that was after these uh, IFAB laws came into effect. So I think uh, there's a bit of overreaction on their part, perhaps. But also for me, I know by the letter of the law that's a handball, but it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, I I think... I take your point because it is one that like you couldn't really see in the moment. I think a lot of commentators pointed out no one protests this. No one on Tottenham is calling for a handball. You don't see Laporte do the like, oh, like I'm pulling my hand behind my back because I know I handled it. But it yeah. is the case that for me it's a cross coming in that he tries to head and basically doesn't get to misses and it hits off of his arm. So to me, essentially the ball doesn't get to Gabriel Jesus if it doesn't go off his arm and redirect into Jesus's path. It's different to me than the Willy Bolly one uh, with Wolves, uh, I think, in the opening week, just because that one is sort of, he has no idea where he is or even where the ball is, and it happens to hit his hand. That's yeah. the difference there for me, I think, is that it puts it in the path of Jesus. But I think you're also right that it is this, it's the conundrum of if it hits the defender, then it's not a penalty, because it almost feels like with some of these rule changes combined with VAR, it basically makes the things that are hard, harder. Because it's like, offside now is, if you're one inch offside, we know that, and you're offside, so it's not really tie goes to the runner as it kind of was in the past. Then there's this rule that pun- punishes the attacker. If there's a hand at, in, in any way involved, then it's not going to be a goal, but a defender doesn't get that same one. But then the counterpoint to that would be, at least with the Women's World Cup, with the goalkeeper off the line rule when it comes to penalties and penalty shootouts, right. that, it's like now it's even harder to save a penalty, but it's harder to be onside, and it's harder to score a goal, and easier and easier not to concede a penalty if you're a defender. It it does seem like they've kind of maybe not incorporated VAR into their way of thinking when making these rule changes, and maybe that's something to consider going forward. And like I know, yeah. obviously, they've thought about VAR in terms of like, yeah, now we can review and see if there's a hand, so that makes it easier to determine. But to me, they don't, it doesn't like necessarily then show you how specific they can be when like. But you have to imagine that when they made that rule, they were like, yeah, but that's not going to happen. Like, oh, we'll know. It'll be common sense. We won't care about it then. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. It's all or nothing. And the all right now is a problem. Yeah, I think that's my problem. There isn't, they're not applying common sense. There's no nuance to this Mm -hmm. thing. I think, I believe that that ball traveling into the box as it was, uh, had it not hit Emeric Laporte's hand, it still would have had the same velocity and trajectory. It still would have landed at Gabriel Jesus and it still would have been a goal. I don't think it affected uh, any team positively or negatively. And I think that's the sort of thing where you, Previously, the ref would have, even if he saw it because it was so quick, would have exercised some nuance. And you look at last week against West Ham where Aguero had to uh, retake the penalty because of it turned out it was encroachment. It was yep. Declan Rice. It was a West Ham player encroaching. That's not giving Aguero any advantage that he <laughs> needs to retake the penalty, is it? It's a bit, it's just, it seems like common sense isn't really being applied. They're just applying the rules for the sake of applying the rules, it feels to me. But then also maybe kind of not because the one that I was more confused by was the Eric Lamella Rodri in incident in the first half mm. i believe it was uh where i mean i like i guess the argument is the referee sees it so maybe it's then like there hasn't been an error made because the referee can say like no i saw them both fighting i'm okay with that level of physicality but for me i mean lamella has rodri around the neck basically and then and then because he's running so close to him clips both of his legs not just one but both legs and to me like that right there it's like you've got your arm around him you're impeding his run you're clipping his legs he they both end up falling on the ground like, to me, that's a definitive penalty, and I don't quite understand how that one wasn't given. Yeah. I mean, it, for what, it's definitely given us a talking point, this VAR. It certainly has. Sure. And it's definitely divided people. My, uh, my favorite tweet from the weekend uh, compared VAR to Brexit. 
I'm about to get political on you, I warn you. The, this tweet from Kev Robinson. The British people clearly asked for the technology and the FA had a mandate to deliver, even when it became obvious that what we'd asked for wasn't the right solution to a problem that didn't really exist. The mandate was clear. The will of the British football fan must be followed, which is very much <laughs> aping the language of Brexit. I very much enjoyed that uh, that little uh, tweet there. But uh, it is kind of true how it's... You can see both sides of this thing. And I think we are very much in that settling in period with this technology. And I don't have a problem with VAR in this instance. I just have a problem with that dumb handball rule, frankly. All right. Ryan does not like the dumb handball rule. Did you <laughs> like the result, given that it was Tottenham, who uh, can be a problematic team? We would expect to be in the top four this season. Yeah. Uh, you do have at least a, a somewhat connection to Man City, if not a fan, then the, the written connection. Uh, what, what did you make of this result from a Man City perspective? Uh, I think Man City feel should definitely feel they could have deserved a win. I think Tottenham were quite bad for quite a lot of spells mm-hmm. of this game. And City were spectacular for most of it, I thought, to be honest. Uh, I, you, I, I mean, think- you won't get a disagreement from me. It, it did feel like if they had been a bit more clinical, and I think... Even with preseason, like you have lots of time to get your reps in, but I think this is a game that if this is played a month from now and Tottenham played the same game and City played the same game but were a little bit sharper, I do think yeah. City get the, the result because there were some very good shooting opportunities for City from start to finish that weren't taken, that were put wide, or mm-hmm. maybe like there's the Kevin De Bruyne one where maybe if he squares it to Sergio Aguero, it's a tap in, but at that point he's already provided two assists, so why not give it a go and have a shot that he ends up blasting wide? I think Bernardo Silva puts one wide that he probably should have put on frame. Uh, Gundogan the same so it did feel like if City were just a little bit more clinical then that does end up being all three points but I also do think that it's another example of why I find Mauricio Pochettino to be I would rank him in my top five at least club managers in the world right now and it's for games like this where sort of you can see his team not being sharp enough not tracking their runs not really doing the defensive job they need to do to be able to handle a team like City he adjusts his defensive game plan he gets more numbers in the middle he frustrates City a bit more and then even like the introduction of Lucas Mora it's an obvious one but he subs on and literally scores I believe with his first touch off of the corner gets yeah. the goal and and it's even in a I would say that's a little bit of a design set piece in my opinion because as the ball comes in it's 3v2 in favor of Tottenham and Lucas Mora to his credit I think realizes no one is marking me, so I'm just going to kind of like stay here, be as quiet as possible, and nobody look at me. And then when that ball comes in, he is completely unmarked and wide open. And I think those mm-hmm. little adjustments from Pochettino are so clever and so difficult to pull off in the moment, especially against a team like City coached by Pep with the talent they have. So even though I think Guardiola is probably number one for me, uh, Pochettino not far off uh, in that ranking. Yeah, definitely. And I think full credit for Tottenham to getting a draw out of this one because the two goals they got, they very much found the very small windows yes. that City will give you. And that, that Mora, uh, the, the goal from the corner was interesting, wasn't it? Because we saw Pep re- uh, uh, remonstrating with uh, Sergio Aguero afterwards. And we were told by the commentary uh, people and people thereafter that um, it was he was happy, unhappy with Aguero's position on that corner when Mora mm-hmm. scored. And there's, I mean, when, when you look at it, when you replay it, he sort of dallying around the penalty spot and and to me it looks like he starts to jog back because he's ready to break he sees a header a defensive header coming out he's going to break and pounce on that thing so to me it seems like that's not bad positioning for a player who he's five for eight are we expecting him to mark Mora and win that header I that, don't think so. That's so, where that's where like if you ask me who I would rather play for, <laughs> I think it's probably Pochettino because oh, yeah. Guardiola I think has that element of like social niceties do not exist and the idea that you're bringing off a player you're already bringing them off, you know, before full time no player likes that. But then you're sort of whether or not you mean to by bringing them off and then kind of like chastising them for not marking the way you thought they should have. If you're a competitive player and an emotional player coming off the field, you're going to be like, "Oh, so it's my fault?" And like I think Guardiola just does not have any of that sort of like, okay, well, considering the situation, now is maybe not the time, but later on, it's just like, no, you did something wrong, and now you're going to hear about it, and uh, I don't really care <laughs> what the optics are on this one, even as we kind of fight, and then I clearly yell at you in Spanish, and then you walk away, and we have to be separated, but yeah. then later on, we're hugging when the goal doesn't count. That's, that he's very Jekyll and Hyde, isn't he? He's very Jekyll yes. and Hyde. You can see him doing the hugging. You can see him sitting down with, you know, hear stories of him sitting down in the dressing room and having long conversations and being very pleasant to players, and then you see him absolutely bawling at <laughs> of certain players on on the field in front of everybody obviously to make a point so it's interesting that he does that kind of thing and also i wanted to talk about the first goal as well mm-hmm. uh, the way that lamella got through is basically city were kind of organizing two banks of four uh, at that point and sort of 
all Lamella does is just literally wander between them. It's like Rodri, I think it's between Rodri and... Gundogan, I think it was. Yeah, it was Gundogan and Rodri, that's right. And neither of them caught, sort of track him at all. He's just, you know he's, and I'll take that. I'll take I, that little path you've caught car for me very much. Thank you, thank you, very, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because I have in my notes and did not find out. Maybe I'll have to go back and look afterwards. Why did, why did that happen? Because Gundogan is 100% supposed to be stepping in front of Lamella. He's supposed yeah. to be that kind of that barrier between them and has been pulled out a little bit. And that is what allows that space to open up and why Lamella is able to get that shot. Because it's not just that Gundogan isn't there and so somebody else has to step. It's that because Gundogan isn't there and City system is so... Like, everybody knows exactly where they need to be. It's so very specific that when when there is that little breakdown, and I think that is probably why Guardiola yells at Aguero for not maybe defending as aggressively on a corner, it's because mm. when there's one little breakdown, suddenly it becomes a way bigger breakdown because ever, if everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing, then Eric Lamella can shoot an uncontested shot and curl it to the far post. That's so, the thing. That's, that's so rare to see against City. You know, they're the kings of breaking up play at that point. And mm-hmm. I, I ask you, if Fernandinho was on that field, would that goal have happened? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And maybe that's the growing pains as well that you get in the kind of first couple games of the season. But may- I-, I do wonder if we'll ever get a game where we have both Rodri and Fernandinho on the field at the same time. I, I would find that interesting, I think, just to see, can they exist? Is it a weird, like, uh, you can't go back in time and meet yourself? Like, can they play on the same field? Or they- do-, do they do two similar things for it to work? That feels like Champions League away game. Yes, it does. Shut it down a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, so City uh, get the win. They're not top of the table. That honor goes to uh, Liverpool and Arsenal. Liverpool ahead on goal difference right now. But I don't want to talk about either one of those two teams, Ryan. I want to talk about Chelsea. Uh, because uh, Frank Lampard uh, came out and said after the United game, uh, they lost 4-0. He wasn't so upset. He saw reasons for optimism in there. Uh, and then uh, after this game against Leicester, the 1-1 draw at home, he came out and said, I was actually more optimistic after the United game than I was after this one. And and I think I agree a little bit because I think we saw a lot of Chelsea's shortcomings on display. And yeah. to be totally honest, I don't want to be too biased here. I think we saw some of Christian Pulisic's shortcomings on display, losing possession something along the lines of like 18 times in the first like half or the first uh, like 60 minutes or something like that. Not necessarily what you want to see from your uh, theoretical, although not quite directly, Aiden Hazard replacement. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with Lampard's assessment there on this too, because by the end of it, I was thinking, how on earth aren't Leicester winning this? Yep. It was another case of uh, not, not holding mm-hmm. it together in the second half, wasn't it, essentially? And you saw how evenly these teams were matched. And it was if you look at the stats, it was actually 50-50 exactly in possession, nine goals attempts each. So <laughs> very much even on the headline stats there. And full credit to, to Leicester. And, you know, we, know, we know how well Brendan Rodgers is shaping this team. But to me, this, this really called the top six um, into question, the top mm-hmm. six placing into question, because I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like Leicester, Wolves and Everton will have watched this game and thought, wow, Chelsea's place in that hegemony is there for the taking right now. I mean, I said this last week, and like, and I felt kind of uncomfortable. I still feel kind of uncomfortable saying it, but like, look at these two teams for a moment on paper, mm. and like, I would make the argument that like Leicester's squad is better right now than than Chelsea's. Yes, Chelsea have some more expensive pieces in there with Christian Pulisic and uh, Kepa, the goalkeeper, Jorginho yeah. coming into that as well, and Golakante. But there's still like that kind of core like squad aside and then some of like the flash players that they brought in you've got what Kurt Zuma Andre and Andreas Christensen I don't know if I would rather have that or uh Johnny Evans and Soyunju as your two center backs like there there are moments in there James Madison I think could be a very very good player for Chelsea yeah. I think Jamie Vardy could be one too so like there's there's a few players in that Leicester squad I've enjoyed Yuri Tielemans and it just it feels like like yeah, with that in mind, like could Leicester challenge? Could they finish ahead of Chelsea? Could Wolves? Could Everton? I mean, it, it does seem like it's much more open than maybe I thought it was going to be for sure. Yeah, I think definitely one of those teams has got a great shout of overtaking this Chelsea team. I think this this has to be. I don't know if we're counting our chickens on this one, but it has to be considered a rebuilding season. I mean, look at that Chelsea Certainly. team. Yeah, look, uh, who's world class in that team? Who's world class? Kante, maybe. Yeah, Kante, Kante would probably be my only one. 
Yeah. I mean, and then, then look at who's who's on the who's in the autumn years of their usefulness in this team. You've got Giroud, yep. probably Pedro, probably Aspilicueta. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of pieces in this team that feel it, it feels a bit transitional, doesn't it? And it yeah, I mean, like, Willian did not play. No, came on as a late. So he, he came, came on for Pulisic. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, Willian I would throw into that category as well. Even sure. Kovacic is a player that I think they signed because he was the only player they could actually sign because of like the contract details and the loan to buy that allowed him to be registered before the transfer ban comes into effect but like i think they did that because they needed some legs in there ross barkley i put in that category too so yeah i think your your point is well taken that it's more players that they're going to sort of try to transition out in the next few years and then players that they're hoping can become star players and i think with all that said i think what this season is going to be almost similar to Bayern munich is that i think this chelsea team is going to be a second half of the season sort of squad if they aren't uh, a second half team right now because I watched uh, like uh, on Y Scout I watched the like every single individual moment from Christian Pulisic because I'm insane um, and you could <laughs> see a lot of it was like the two like tagged uh, videos I kept seeing were like aggressiveness and defensive positioning which is and then loss of possession that was kind of a bummer um, but the thing I noticed with Pulisic is in like the first 20 minutes he is doing a really good job of cutting off outlet passes so that they're either very clearly not on or he sort of is doing the thing where it, like, it seems like it's on, but he's trying to bait you into making that pass. His mm. other teammates, uh, Pedro doing the same, Giroud doing the same, midfield stepping up, Mason Mount obviously stepping in. That's where the goal comes from. But as the game goes on, that position gets just gets a little slacker and a little slacker and a little slacker to the point where you'll see Christian Pulisic, and I'm not just like saying it was just him, but I think he's kind of representative of the team as a whole. You would see him be five yards further back than where he was in the first 15 minutes or so in the, say, 50th minute. And so then when he tries to cut off that angle, now he's five yards further back, so he's not able to get there, and basically Lester able to play out. And once they're kind of able to bypass that pressure and get a bit more comfortable, you see Lester grow into it. And I think what Chelsea are going to be doing is trying to build towards having complete fitness and every single player on our team can run for 120 minutes and I think the more games they get hopefully if you're a Chelsea fan the more they're able to do that and so I do think there'll be a second half of the season team as they get more familiar with the pressing and get a little bit fitter Mm. that said if they can't sign players then you pick up some injuries you have the fixture congestion, maybe it goes the other way, and they end up just more tired and more torn apart. So it could be an okay season. It could be a bad season for Chelsea, and I'm really not sure which one it's going to be. But right now, I would say uh, Frank Lampard has a fair bit of work ahead of him if he wants to figure things out. Yeah, definitely a fair bit of work, but I think he's also got some good excuses to fall back yes, on. Losing certainly. their best player and not being able to sign any other players is definitely uh, definitely a good excuse to fall back on should they finish lower in the table than expected, which I predict they will. Uh, on Pulisic, yeah, I, I, I thought he was better in the Super Cup earlier in the week mm. than he was here, but also I feel like this team looks better with him in it than without. Yeah, I think that's probably true because I think he he has that sort of desire to go at people. He makes the runs, but he's also not the like, for lack of a better way, like the screamer who's like yelling at people when he doesn't get the ball and demanding it and throwing fits and hands in the air and moments like that. He seems like a player who's just doing everything he can to make like the team better and you know make himself look better as a result. But I do think yeah, he looks he looks better. The team looks better. The team looks a little bit more confident. So at least there's that. That makes me a little bit well, happy, even if this game wasn't too great. Yeah, exactly. And what I'd worry about if I was Chelsea was the fact that the next game is uh, Norwich away. (laughs) And (laughs) if there's there's one team you don't want to play, it's a team high on confidence who very much like to counterattack. And (laughs) this is Chelsea who have shown, demonstrated they can't really handle that counter right now in the second half pressure. So that's going to be a really interesting barometer of their season next week, I think. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because, as I said, I didn't really want to talk about Arsenal or Everton. Uh, Man United Wolves have not yet played. We're not talking about them. I want to talk Norwich for a moment. Uh, first of all my question for you Ryan who finishes with more goals at the end of the season Raheem Sterling or Temu Pokey Pokey (laughs) that's that's I was actually having this conversation over the weekend because I I, I'm I'm betting the house on Raheem Sterling getting the golden boot Uh, yeah he will he definitely will and then the person I was talking to uh, I would jokingly ask them um, if if the market on Pokey is moving and they're saying yes it's moving an awful lot basically it's shorting an awful lot a lot of people are backing Pokey for the golden boot which I think is 
fairly outrageous. Uh, but, yes. <laughs> but I mean, going on current form, I mean, it's great. It's a pookie party in the East Anglia right now, isn't it? Get, it's wonderful. Gets the hat trick, first hat trick for a Norwich player in the Premier League, I think, in 26 years was the stat I saw. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I enjoyed it very, very much. I'm going to say Newcastle fans did not. And yeah. I guess, like, to your point earlier about, like, Frank Lampard and how there's a lot of extenuating factors when it comes to this Chelsea team this season, where are you on Newcastle? Because. Like it's, I, I feel like there's such a, a sympathetic fan base. I have sympathy for the fans. I think I have sympathy for the players. Maybe for Steve Bruce, even though he knew what he was getting into. Is it just that their owner is so horrifically bad that like you can love everything else about them or appreciate everything else about them, but their owner being so bad is enough for it to be like, yeah, they're probably going down. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to put them on the candidates right now, wouldn't you? They just look yes. so uninspired under Steve Bruce. Well, there's so long. Is there a more long-suffering fan base in the Premier League than Newcastle over the years? It seems like they just get this kind of thing all the time, don't they? Uh, they yeah, just... I mean, because at least Arsenal have some cups in there, uh, and Liverpool obviously the same. So yeah, I think it's it's probably Newcastle for sure. Yeah, and it's just like the, this team just felt like they were going through the motions in this game. They were pretty poor off the ball. You look at Joe Linton, he's, he's got... The hallmarkings of flop. I hate to say at this early stage, written on him at the moment. Uh, Almiron, I, was he on the field? <laughs> couldn't tell you. Yeah, he was, <laughs> but you, you couldn't really tell. And oh, it's just like they've replaced Benitez with a much poorer substitute and yep. expecting better results. And I don't think you can do that. No offense to Steve Bruce, but I think he is a poorer uh, manager than than Benitez. Yeah, that's not that's and, not offensive. That's just a factual statement. Yeah, like, yeah. Rafa Benitez is a world class manager who can get very very good results out of players who maybe aren't at, at that level, but because they can yeah. play within the system and his system works so effectively that he gets results. Steve Bruce, less so, and thus the results are less so. Exactly, yes. And looking at what Norwich fans are saying after this game, I've seen a few saying that basically this felt to them like playing one of the worst, uh, one of the bad teams in the championship last season. Oof. That's how they felt on a competitive level. That was, that was what appeared to them, this game, the ease of it. So uh, that's right. pretty worrying for Newcastle. Uh, you know, they, They're a team who have been accused of having a championship squad in the not-so-recent past. So... That's that could be where they're headed based on based on this evidence. And then look at this. Okay, their, their fixtures coming up: Spurs away, Watford at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home, Leicester away, Man United at home, Chelsea away. How many points are they going to pick up in that run? Uh, not that many. Not that many. I'd, I'd say, say not that many. It's pretty pretty. <laughs> it's not great. Not great. We're, we're doing the high pitch voice talk now. Uh, it's going to be trouble. It's, it's going to be difficult. Uh, I, I'm still shocked by the fact that, I mean, obviously only t- two games in uh, and not all games yet played, but the the relegations are right now is Newcastle, Southampton, Watford. I, I didn't really see that one coming. I, I, I thought maybe there was a chance that we would see, say, Sheffield in there, not Sheffield in seventh right now on four points with Newcastle, Southampton, Watford. Oh, but they're revolutionizing things, aren't they, with their... Uh, centre-backs who can play as strikers and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with talking about one more game, not in the Premier League, Ryan. We have yeah. not talked about Major League Soccer uh, yet in our in our two shows of the new season. Uh, so let's do it now. Let's talk Portland v. Atlanta, the rematch of the MLS rematch. Cup. And it more or less goes the exact same, with Atlanta getting uh, the 2-0 win on the road. Uh Ryan, for you, I don't know how much Major League Soccer you watch. Although every time I say, like, are you okay with talking MLS? You say, like, yeah, I watch MLS all the time. I, I'm <laughs> happy to talk Major League Soccer. But, like, for you, is is it Atlanta that is the most fun team to watch right now? Is it LAFC? Which team, like, if they're on, would you pick to watch if you could pick one Major League Soccer team? I have to say Atlanta just because okay. uh, they're slightly more local to me, and I can appreciate that more. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, think, yeah. I don't think about that. Yeah, I... Th- Definitely last season, a lot of fun to watch. And I think, you know, they just had, this this game, they looked very dangerous all the time. They had a load of shots. They were turning over uh, turning over possession all the time. And against, you know, a fairly decent team in Portland as well, who did seem to rely a bit more route one-ish. It felt a bit more mm-hmm. long balls and a lot of crosses and a bit more meat and potatoes kind of style of play than I expected from them, I'd say, in this game. But, um Joseph Martinez's goal, the 11th straight game he scored in a goal. That was a cracker, wasn't it? That was enjoyable. I enjoyed watching that. I don't understand the mechanics of that shot. I I really don't. It's like, if you haven't seen it, it's like from distance. It's hit with velocity, but it's got that weird, like nonsensical bend, like almost a Beckham-esque bend that it just Mm. sort of like cuts in and you don't really know where it's going. And then his just almost insulting reaction of just like, yeah. 
Yeah, oh, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just a, like, that was a great yeah, celebration. It but really, really was. That shot to me was like, you know, when you're just you're playing pickup and you're you're just practicing before the game and the yep. ball is stationary on the edge of the box. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of shot you could hit with a stationary ball yep. and get that kind of arc. But he did it with a moving one. He did so, so. in a game and then <laughs> acted like it was no big deal. Whereas if yeah. I hit that, I would try to act like it was no big deal, but fail miserably because I would yeah. instead be acting like it wasn't a big deal, but looking around to see if anybody else had noticed it. So I think Joseph Martinez, I don't know if you knew, knew this already, Ryan, but uh, slightly cooler than me, slightly calmer under pressure than me. Yeah, well, don't put yourself down. You're great. You're great. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're great as well, my friend. You're great to go over all the weekend's action with me. We talked about a bunch of different leagues, a bunch of different players, a bunch of different teams. We will do the same next week. Uh, but again, Ryan, thank you as always for talking to me. Uh, and if you're wondering why I'm uh, hustling Ryan off the air right now, it's because Man United Wolves kicks off in four minutes. The TSS Derby is set to begin. Ryan, if you were betting on it, uh, the game will have happened by the time people hear this. Probably. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in this one? I think we're all going to have a wonderful time watching 90 minutes of beautiful soccer, Taylor. Okay, that's what you're comfortable <laughs> going with? I see what you've done here, sir. I see what you've done here. Oh, I've had fun as always. Okay. We, didn't even get to a, we didn't even get to discussing why True Geordie is number two on the UK Twitter trends right now. But let's not do that. I don't even know what that is. What's, what's number two? True Geordie. Is that, is that like how you prove that you're truly from Newcastle? Okay. Look it up. Okay, I want to know now. True, Jordy. <laughs> yes. All right, it's not. It's not fit for broadcast. Okay, oh, then I'm kind of terrified now. All right, well then I'll just say, Ryan Bailey, thank you very much for talking uh, with me today, with going over all these games. I very much appreciate it. Always a pleasure, never a chore.